Welcome everyone to the Deep Dive, the podcast that skips small talk and goes straight for the concepts that shape our thinking and behavior. In this podcast, cold expertise is defenestrated as warm philosophy is enthroned in an attempt to explore the field in which we're all scientists looking for answers, living well. Hello world, welcome to another episode of The Deep Dive with Eyal Shai. Today my guest is Rachel Clifton. Hi Rachel. Hello! <laughs> hello, hello. Um, and as the custom goes, I think we'll dive right into it. Uh, what is an idea that has helped you live well? Ooh, hello. Great to be here. Love this question. Love going right in. I'm just gonna speak from the heart to what's alive for me at the moment. And an idea that's helped me to live well is this very simple sentence. Stop making yourself wrong. Okay, that's awesome. Uh, <laughs> great, great um, headline for this one. And yeah, I, I'll just have to let you start unpacking it in, in whatever way you find fitting. But mm -hmm. maybe if we were to go back a little bit, like, what is it like to uh, make yourself wrong? Oh, wow. What a question. What a question. And thank you for your direction and kind of taking the lead after my spontaneous uh, share. What's it like to make yourself wrong? Well, you know, I can't speak for everybody, but I know what it's like for me, or I know what it can be like for me, rather, because I'm open to many different possibilities. Ah, what comes up? Hmm. I want to take a moment before I answer to actually just get into my body and let myself feel it. Because I feel like that will yield the most ah, authentic response. It feels painful. It feels kind of gut-wrenching. Like I feel it in my stomach. And it feels like this crampy, nagging pain. It's, it hurts. It physically hurts to make myself wrong. But the implication here, you know, what's really underlying this is the idea of being wrong, which is closely right. connected with shame. Hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating. Like what, why do you think people even go down that path of making themselves wrong? Um, and also when you say wrong, you mean like not, uh, not fitting, not good enough to um, in some way or something like that? Mm, let me start with your second question about mm -hmm. what I mean. When I say wrong, I, I actually mean it in, when I say a purer sense, that's not too, 
you know, discredit the whole uh, not being enough thing. But I want to go one level deeper um, to the core of what I feel this is about, which is ultimately practicing non-resistance and not rejecting, denying, or suppressing or repressing even any aspect of your human experience and indeed the human experience. And yeah, not making myself wrong, because I want to speak from a place of I and lived experience just simply means being able to be okay with whatever is, which doesn't necessarily always mean being happy clappy or feeling like I've done the right thing or being even being proud of myself. It just simply means being able to stand in an okayness and in an acknowledgement that actually we are not defined this might be a controversial statement, by the way, but we are not defined by our actions. There's something broader, there's something deeper. And actually, I think that's really, really important to hold on to, because otherwise it's so easy to judge ourselves and to judge others and to stay connected and invested in stories that may or may not serve us. Yeah. Um, yeah. What What do you think uh, takes us to this place of starting to deny, starting to maybe uh, diverge from the path that is our authentic self and kind of go into this place where you just become something that you're not or you start uh, layering these stories upon yourself? Uh, what is it? Is it self-preservation or... Uh, something else that happens to us because almost everyone engages in it, right? Agreed. Agreed. I... I love the phrase, yes, and. I think it's probably all of the things that you've mentioned around self-preservation. Um, and uh, you know, it's something that all of us engage in uh, at some point or another to a lesser extent or a larger one. But I actually think that there's something else that's really, really important and fundamental here around role models and around the uh, responses that we receive from our environment and how they shape us, particularly early on in our lives. Right, so you're talking about culture, family members, parents, peers. Um, yeah, that's that's really interesting because you know there's there's always that friction between wanting to do well in life, and then you probably realize at some point if if you're the type of person who's had that awakening that hey, you know, actually actually doing well is never outside of context, right? I live in this society that then constantly gives me feedback about whether I'm doing well or not. And, oh, it turns out that so far, 
whenever I felt like I was doing well, I was just receiving this feedback from society or family or um, anything like that. And then you might get in touch with your inner self and it's like, oh, I haven't been doing well at all. So do you see it necessary to kind of break out of this mini matrix thing? Like it's maybe not changing the whole of reality, but just your reference point for how well you're doing, taking it from an external source into something more internal. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what growing up is, <laughs> in essence, um, going huh. beyond your earliest influences and who you feel you should or need to be based on what you've learned from well-meaning <laughs> people around you who may or may not know what's right for you, because ultimately only you know what's right for you. Uh, because it's your life, not anybody else's. At least that's my personal belief. And crucially, having the courage to explore. And this, interestingly enough, for me at least, takes me full circle to what not making myself, yourself, ourselves wrong is really about, which is giving ourselves the permission and freedom to grow and change and even make mistakes without being defined by them. Yeah, that's that's really good. And I'm immediately thinking of ways of actually doing it. Like, why is it um, why is it so rare that people actually do it? Uh, yeah, actually go for it and try to explore and play with new ideas, new ways of being. Why is it so rare? And what do you think we could do to to get there? Are you open to being gently challenged on that? Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm curious. Well, thank you, first of all. Um, I love <laughs> it when people are willing to, to play with me in new ways. I'm curious um, about uh, your point on it being so rare. Um, mm -hmm. Tell me more about that. Yeah, I just uh, the way I view it, I live at least in a place where people around me, um, most of them are just, it seems, are following a pattern that's widespread, that's the mainstream. And in order to go through that pattern and live it out, there needs to be a lot of um, kind of complaining and, you know, saying stuff like this is how life is okay all the, all this stuff that really kind of is just there to ease i think the frustration of never really having uh gotten to what is actually what it is that they wanted to do with their lives you know so i i see that as a as a very common thing around me where people don't take um and a lot of times it's it's just like this very um narrow-sighted kind of behavior or looking at the very short-term thing because I think a lot of people if they had given themselves two three years to just play around this is what it takes to kind of go down your own path and because the path is so well charted by our society people just can't take this 
free time for themselves to work on their own stuff and come up with their own new ideas and interesting ideas about how to live that they just it's just easy to get into the the river that's already the mainstream that's just going to take you away for decades of your life um so i think this is this is why i say this is how i feel about at least my immediate environment less so much when i go on twitter when i go online i see a lot of incredible uh people but if i look in real life as they call it then most people <laughs> yeah most people are just funneled down the the same same path what helps you to me i don't know i was just born a, a rebel and a maverick and uh <laughs> it starts very early with me i would just be Preach. have a, a strong sense of justice and a strong sense that i wanted to challenge myself challenge society never was the kind of person to take orders <laughs> never was the kind of person to give them either um and though at at some points in my life i did try to kind of come closer to the mainstream and every time it was just okay i'm hitting a wall here and i can't do it to myself so here i am breaking away again this is very relatable <laughs> yeah how about you uh honestly pretty similar although um i tried really hard i tried really 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 hard I tried really hard to <sighs> repress myself for a long time to fit into my sense of what other people wanted or needed me to be in many different incarnations. Um, and ultimately, I feel that what I'm unlearning and have been unlearning steadily for the last few years is self-betrayal, uh, is putting other people's opinions and approval above my own, and ultimately what it's like to have integrity and to really have the courage to A, stand for something, and B, walk yourself through <laughs> hard things and see not make yourself right or wrong or anybody else right or wrong for that matter for any of it and that in and of itself <laughs> i feel you know could easily be you know a life journey <laughs> and i think it is a life journey being honest yeah <laughs> I, I i i that's a yeah a strong agreement there um i think that people don't really appreciate the fact that really each person for them for themselves has have so much more information about the world that they live in that it's absolutely uh, you know preposterous always to expect someone to give you good advice they can maybe direct you a little bit they can mm. help like experience definitely has its its benefits but experience without uh, sound thinking and sound analysis uh from the first person perspective is just not going to do it right i mean i think we rarely appreciate the fact that you know we 
don't have the same bodies as other people. We don't have the same pattern of thinking. We don't have the same interests. And it's just something that is people so happily universalize and just say, oh, this worked for me. It must work for you. People don't appreciate the role of chance and luck in what's going on. And you're, you're so right when you're putting the finger on the fact that you know, we're not empowered to really make choices for ourselves, especially not in the education system and the, and the culture that we live in. And that's a thing that's, that is sorely missed, I think. Um, yeah, and, and for me, like I mentioned this on the podcast before, but I was inspired by the story of uh, Dennis Rodman. Do you know him? No, no says nothing to you. Yeah, well... Uh, clearly not an NBA fan in the 1990s. Oh, well, sorry, <laughs> um, but he was just uh, he is was just um, this amazing basketball player, but was completely depressed, almost killed himself. And he was just looked very um, unassuming, was very shy. And then after his uh, near suicide attempt, just decided that he will be this flashy, almost like sometimes he would just show up as a drag queen. Uh, he dated Madonna for a while, so he just took on this very flashy lifestyle where he's completely out there, like with bling bling and glitter and everything, you know. And at least to the outside, I know he's had his trouble and stuff, but at least it seems like this made things better for him because he stopped fucking caring about what um, people might view him as. Now he was this freak. And he was a much happier freak than before. Before he was a freak who didn't let his freakiness show. <laughs> this, uh, this reminds me of, uh, you're going to laugh at me, but an Instagram post that I shared a while back, um, which was called uh, Let Your Freak Fly, which is exactly kind of the same thing and the same, the same principle, um, or at least that's kind of, kind of how I'm, I'm hearing it around just having the courage to be. And whatever that is and looks like, it's okay. Stop making yourself wrong. What other people think is their business. It's not your job to try to control them. They have the right to think and feel what they do. And let yourself be happy. Yeah. And, you know, like earlier I said that it's just in my genes or whatever to be this uh, this kind of uh, trailblazer for myself. But it's now recollecting my teenage years, that wasn't true at all. Like I was totally crushed under the weight of, of a society telling me that uh, having your GD is like super important, which it isn't, kids, by the way. It's not. You can always do it later. Um, but and I just... Um, yeah, basically it took me to a very bad place of not really uh, knowing that I had the potential to, to do stuff that I, I like, but there was literally no encouragement or, or positive feedback about um, even attempting it, seeing where it, could, uh, where it could lead me. And I wonder, like with your journey, what mm. were some of the things that you maybe felt were a calling for you or anything like that, that you actually yeah. uh, had to suppress? Oh my God, what a question. 
What a question. I mean, I have so many questions for you as well. Like what a, what a rich little anecdote to share and then drop a question for me and make me feel awkward that I need uh, to respond to your questions. Yes. Not making me feel anything because I'm choosing to take that on. All this right. stuff. My power. techniques are very nefarious, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it'll, it'll come back right at me. It's yeah. I see you. I see you. <laughs> no, it's all good. It's all good. Around repression. Number one thing that comes to me is sexuality. Uh, super simple um, and uh, super powerful. Um, and yeah, let me unpick that a little bit or unpack it rather. Um, female sexuality is pretty powerful. Uh, I think most people would agree um, yes. <laughs> in terms of the impact that it has on the world or the impact that it has on men specifically um or and and if we go to like archetypes <sighs> femininity as a force of nature that creates chaos and is disruptive and ruins people's lives and drives people crazy and all of this slight bullshit it's like, like, as you say it, I'm like saying, it's so obviously a projection <laughs> by men on it. It's like, it's right. like, hey, can you not like control or take responsibility for yourself so much that you, ha you have to put this on this poor, exactly. innocent, a little attractive person with tits <laughs> or bum? <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, that's the, that's the conditioning that I grew up with, um, that, not just me, honestly, I think most of us grew up with. Um, and look, I mean, I was really, I was really fortunate in many ways because unlike many people of my generation, so I hear, uh, I had sexual experiences early on that were really positive and meaningful, you know, with a partner who loved me and who I loved and you know it was it was ethical and consensual and playful and exploratory and that's what you would want it wasn't kind of a drunken hookup at a party via a dating app um right and yet <laughs> I've definitely found in recent years again, that my, my biggest journey, my biggest reclamation has been of my ability to claim my sexuality as my own and to get out of needing to be performative and of actually using and abusing my sexuality and my femininity as a way of trying to get people to love me. And I say this not just because my work is really around attachment and trauma and helping people to move beyond uh, old ways of living and being to create lives that they're really deeply in love with and partnerships that come with that invariably, partnerships of any kind um, and relationships of any kind, but because I, I live my work and I live my work first and foremost. And this is kind of what I was mentioning to you yesterday when you asked me how I was yes. and, and I was like yeah wow I mean there are things that we can only learn with others um you know we can't learn them with in books or from watching YouTube videos and we certainly can't learn them through solo meditation retreats 
right. I spent all of my time uh, when I was younger alone, doing lots of deep, meaningful work on myself in that way. And that was deeply powerful. I'm very grateful for that. I think it's very important to have a solid grounding in yourself um, and to cultivate space away from external influences to work out what the hell that means and also to revisit that periodically. But I don't think that we should negate the value and the healing potential and the joy of interpersonal relationships because that's really what life is for, in my humble opinion. Oh, yeah, I absolutely love it. There, there is nothing sadder than um, an armchair expert on living well <laughs> because it's <laughs> like, you know, you actually have to live to do that. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, more and more with time, I recognize that for me, I want to exist in the relationships. Like, I want to have good relationships for the relationship's sake. Even, yes, it mm. makes my life amazing, absolutely amazing and rich and full. Um, but it all comes as a... As a just an after effect of, of just really working on the relationships and making the existence of the two or more people that are in the relationship really happen there in the space between us and other people and less so much within ourselves or in the service of other people, you know? So I really like um, how you're putting it in words and kind of pointing at it. Um, yeah, well, what, what, what do you, do you want to ask me a question now? I have to ask that, or do you want me to delve a bit deeper into, um, into some of the things you said? Because I would have more questions, but I want to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for being fair with me. I appreciate it. Um, I do have a question for you, and it goes back to what you shared earlier about your own journey and reconciliation? Were you born a rebel or did your rebellion go through different incarnations as you grew and changed? And I'm curious uh, if you could go back in time and have a little chat with your teenage self, pick an age, any age, what would you say? I'm not going to ask you to give them advice because I don't know about you, but when I was a teenager, I didn't take anybody's advice. I wouldn't have been able to, even if I tried. So right. on that basis, older Rachel knows, don't try and give little Rachel advice. Little Rachel will <laughs> not be very impressed and will respect you less. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, yeah, me neither. I would probably not be listening myself. But, um, you know, first of all, I have to say, really revisit my assertion that I was always a rebel, but it's not that I'm a rebel at heart. I'm a person who wants to do different things and because these different things are not encouraged, then I have to be a rebel to protect myself, right? This is, it's not that I'm all about um, enjoying the rebellion itself. No, that's quite stressful. I like having good vibes with people. I enjoy, I enjoy peace and I enjoy, um, a mutual understanding but if these things are not present then i have to protect myself and i have to protect my um my wishes and my dreams and i think that from a young age i 
wanted to get to a point where I do something that's meaningful to me and for others as well in the sense that I wanted to create things and I never it was never clear to me what my talent was some people like my wife here you can find me this crazy bird that she's uh, painting right now and it's it's very interesting that you know she obviously has this talent some people have this obvious talent for me there wasn't but I read a lot of books so I thought it it might be writing or something but I, I was never given um, the green light to go ahead with any of that so I think that created a lot of the tension I always felt this sort of very very to to do something so uh, that was that was it for me and you know the the only it's really i'm speaking as if i've been doing this for many years now i've been doing what i want no this is something that started with covid hitting and me uh being without a job and just gambling on myself just getting to that point in life when i'm like you know i really do feel crazy and I really felt crazy, sometimes I still do, because if you go against the grain there, uh, and you go against expectations, you're made to feel crazy. People are like, how are you going to spend your days doing a podcast or doing that? It's like, is there any money in it? When are you going to, to make a living? In essence, all these things like, why aren't you normal? Why aren't you like us just doing this thing that we don't really like doing? And then, complaining to let them uh, steam on so that's that's for me and it's just in the past two years or so that i actually feel like i'm uh flourishing in a sense in that sense like i had a good life before but now it's even better um yeah did i answer the question or did i digress you didn't answer at all um okay but it was a great <laughs> digression <laughs> No, so put me back on track. I love yeah. to let go. I love it that you're interviewing me. I love it. I, I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for sharing. I, I like to give as good as I get and I like conversations. Oh, what I would tell. Oh, what I would yes. tell myself. Right. Take um, an age though. Let's ground right. it. Right. Take an age. I would, just, I would just be telling myself. I would be just the one voice who's telling myself, look, I believe in you. you. Clearly, you can do a lot of these things and you're not going to be great you're not going to be a master immediately but it's okay you have like your teenage years instead of spending them crushed under expectations and just this uh, like regimen of studying going to school and all that stupid shit then it's you know you could be a great artist if you start now you could figure out your thing your medium your voice and you can run with it um and you know, I, I actually think that I would have reacted to something like that, even as a teenager. I would have clung on to this person who told me that. And, um, you know, we would have made a, a, a small team of people who believe in me. Because it's not advice. It's somebody seeing your potential and seeing right. your... That little spark within you and saying i see you i love you come on let's cultivate it like hold on and let's make something which is so different to you should be doing this or in my day i did this or i think you should do this because like yeah yes. absolutely absolutely and 
you know, today I'm 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 doing this. I'm doing a couple other creative things, and it just feels right. It ha and it has no um, it has no obvious purpose. Like, and uh, it it just feels good in in itself without thinking long term about why or how or how is this going to benefit me or monetarily or anything like that. It just feels right. So. Um, I'm I'm wondering in your case, like you mentioned something that's not, um, I don't want to say it's not art. Maybe people could argue that it is art, like sexuality in some sense. But um, <laughs> for you, like, how is it, how is it actually expressed, like the freedom that you give yourself to be uh, more authentic? Like, if it's not, if it's not anymore abusing yourself or using yourself to get things in the, or to get love, as you said, then uh, what does it look like, like post that um, conception? So funnily enough, back to your point about feeling good and purpose, that's exactly what it's like for me. I think our purpose in life is to feel good and experience joy. I really, really, really do. And for me, sexuality, is about pleasure and I think that women in particular I speak as a woman um, I don't know if all women will agree with me I don't pretend to speak for all women I suspect that some will and that's enough I suspect that some people will and that's enough irrespective of, irrespective of gender but I feel that we are often disconnected from our own pleasure and that gets in the way of not only experiencing real joy in our lives, but real intimacy with other people, particularly intimacy in a physical sense with, with partners, um, you know, in a romantic and sexual realm. And if you're used to your sexuality being a commodity, and being something that defines your worth rather than something that's for you first and foremost, but something that you can enjoy for you again, first and foremost, it's gonna feel very different. It's gonna feel very constricted. And when I was younger, I was completely disconnected from my body. I had no real idea how I was feeling much of the time. I. I didn't even realize what I was doing because I was on autopilot and it was all I knew. And I think we often need to experience contrast, to, ex to experience that another experience is possible to be able to believe or hope or dream, whatever you, whatever you start with, that something different might be possible for us. And I think of this particularly in relation to my own relationships and how they have changed as, as I do and as I have done. Like until, until about three years ago, I wasn't really able to be friends with men. Not because to be clear, I would always have sexual relationships with them 
but because I just didn't feel comfortable. I just didn't feel safe. And it has been one of the biggest joys of the last few years to experience that differently. I mean, now I have amazing male friends. I love my male friends. They are, they are epic. And <laughs> it's beautiful to be able to do relationships cleanly in such a way that, you know, look, even if there is some kind of attraction at some point on either side, that's safe. That doesn't have to be acted upon. It doesn't have to be the focus or all encompassing for, for either party. And it doesn't have to be something that feels threatening. And so again, the biggest learning <laughs> that kind of comes into all of this for me is learning experientially how not to be afraid of men because that's again kind of what I knew subconsciously from a very early age because of the attention that I got and the experiences that I had and again I don't think I'm unique in this by any means I think this is a pretty common experience um, for many 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 people and it inhibits us, it inhibits our expression, it inhibits our freedom. And so my biggest work has been learning to feel safe in myself so that I can conduct myself in a way that helps me to feel safe no matter what. And so I can ensure that I can be free and I can be open and expressive and loving and expansive without becoming self-sacrificial. And every relationship that you have, regardless of whether it's platonic or not, can benefit from that in my experience <laughs> yeah yeah that's well said you know so i think it's only fitting that i kind of uh, speak from the perspective of a man again not not everyone is the same, <laughs> but, you know um for me it was definitely the case that having been so busy with the uh with the person i should be according to society right like um going out there conquering um basically yeah looting people <laughs> i don't know oh dear, um, oh dear. right and, and just and, yeah and it was just it was depressing in real time but when you are uh burdened with all these expectations and when you are expected to talk about certain things when you are in a, a group of men then supposedly there comes an age where um, the subject is going to be sex and like, hey, let's hear about your accomplishments of late, you know, your latest crusade into the <laughs> whatever. Um, uh, it's like war stories, right? But um, and it was very burdensome. And, you know, I, I wish I could say that. In, uh, so again, I told you I was a rebel, but I wasn't always a good rebel. And there were times where I just played that game and, and was out there to kind of fulfill the the prophecy or the story of who I should be, you know, and I remember clearly, like at some point I was telling someone I was with, it was just like, I'm just sick of it. Now everything I can think about when I think about sex is like violence. And I'm tired of being in this mode of just like being out there and, and always trying to like you know, calculating how to get into this fort that's out there. Oh, there's a wall here, so I need to throw a ladder 
up there and then go and then go through the um go over the ramparts into the thing until I, I get to the dungeon or whatever and it's just like this calculated and and you're losing exactly what you're what you're saying of actually being in touch in yourself and even more so with the other person because the other person is now an object right and this can be from the perspective of maybe a woman it can be just uh, like generic scary thing or from the perspective of a man it can be just like this generic uh, thing that that needs to be exploited in some sense and Mm. I don't think it's coincidental that it's um, you know this this uh, worldview about women that uh, they should be using uh, their sexuality to get love or to get uh, really a lot of a lot of different things it's it's not a coincidence that you can say about someone oh she's easy or that she's giving right it's like yeah. something that the woman is giving and the man takes or if the woman is not giving you can con her into maybe giving or and it's just it's so ugly and so disgusting you know so i can genuinely say in my life that I avoided going as far as some people go on that but I really think you can ruin your life even as a man and this may be controversial because I'm not saying here that women who have um, I do think that in war and in in this type of relationship like there's obviously like a victim side that suffers more but even the perpetrator of of the crime or of of the injustice is going to sentence themselves to a life of regretting that you know and i'm not sure then some people go over a line where no matter how much atonement they attempt i don't think they're going to um fully reclaim but maybe you have different thoughts because you're you're talking about reclaiming and and i'm super interested in in also hearing about the healing part and how to Mm. to pick the pieces and start uh putting something together Wow. Well, I mean, I love, I love hearing your experience. First of all, thank you so much for sharing with me and with the listeners. If this part yeah. gets into the podcast, um, it, uh, it will. <laughs> it takes it takes guts to be honest about these things and admit your own, my own, our own culpability, and how we create and perpetuate things that we actually don't want in our lives it's that that i think actually is the key to healing um but it's not it's not easy and it's not pleasant uh, at least not in the short term and i think it would no. be wrong <laughs> profoundly wrong to suggest otherwise i just had to relive it as i was telling you to right that can't be pleasant yeah i hear that i want to go back to the language that you used around war and, uh, you know, trying to get something from somebody and giving and taking, and then share a little bit about the double standards of sexuality that I feel I personally am, you know, working to, working to change the paradigm around which is this very traditional slut versus stud double standard, whereby a woman, if she sleeps with a lot of people, is a slut, and that's a bad thing. But if she doesn't sleep with people, then she's frigid. 
and that's a bad thing. And meanwhile, a guy talks about his conquest with his group of friends and it's a competition and the manliest one has the most or does the most outrageous things. And to your point, it's very objectifying. And the pleasure for both parties, conveniently or not so conveniently as the case may actually be, seems to get lost. Yeah. But the, but the end result is the same. Men and women, and I know I'm speaking in very binary terms here. I think it's much broader than that, but I'll use that for convenience for now. Men and women both end up not enjoying and feeling good about sex. True. Which is a tragedy. Because sex is great. Or can be great and should be great. And well, that, you know, it's, it's the life, it's how we came to be. Demonizing sex is demonizing yourself at some level. It's demonizing a core aspect of most people's identities. And again, I want to be clear, not every, you know, there are people who don't experience sexual desire and drive and that's totally cool and totally awesome. I'm speaking to and about people who do. And if you feel that way, but you don't feel safe to be able to express that, that, at least in my experience, you know, can end up either leaking into other areas or just, just not feeling very good and just meaning that you kind of feel a bit stuck and a bit blocked and a bit like, oh, I can't be who I want to be. And I'm kind of treading water and just doing my thing and things might look a certain way, but they don't feel it. And mm -hmm. back to what you were sharing earlier, I mean, if we focus on feeling good, like actually feeling good, not just short, I'm not talking about short term hedonistic pleasure. I'm talking about actually in the purest way possible, like what can we do to prioritize aliveness and joy, which is very, very different to kind of like short term gratification. Right. When we, when we do that, it's, it's transformative. We see the world with new eyes and we experience it differently too. And there's so much possibility and opportunity that comes from that place. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what was a, a turning point for you when you realized it's like, okay, this is it. You know, I, I can't be, obviously it's, it's something that's running through our heads for a while. And then there's a point where you need to uh, get up and go and, and do it. Like, what was a, a catalyst for you to make a real change for yourself? Okay, two things spring to mind. Um, I ended things with my last long-term partner because we were sexually incompatible. And I'd known that from the beginning, but I'd kind of chosen to let that slide or not listen to myself with it because everything else was really good. But I had known. I'd felt it. So that. Um, he is and was a wonderful person. No complaints, inverted commas. I learned a hell of a lot. My best friend, you know, just great. 
but it wouldn't have been fair to continue the relationship. And it became abundantly clear that that, it, that things needed to change, uh, sadly. But, you know, also not sadly, like just being truthful and having integrity and being respectful. Yeah, improvement is not prospect. sad, so. Yeah. Um, and number two was um, an experience that happened for me shortly after, uh, which was when I was, ugh, what language do I use today? Is it rape? Is it sexual assault? How do I want to frame it? I'll say sexually assaulted today, just because it's easier, honestly. It feels less jarring. The word rape is actually quite, I don't know, I just, I feel it. It feels very violent to even say. And sometimes, I, I, sometimes I, I, I want to go there. Sometimes, you know what? I'd rather just whatever, like that's not the focus right now. But when I was sexually assaulted, um, by somebody that I met on a on a Bumble first date. And again, I had to kind of come face to face with how I had ignored my own intuition. And my own responsibility. And then what did I need to change in how I was showing up in my relationships to create the kinds of experiences and relationships, of course that I wanted. Um, so those two things. And that was three and a bit years ago. And since then, I really embarked on very deep, very immersive and very cohesive journey of discovering that and going beyond who and what I thought I could be. And I think that the difference here uh, has been that rather than doing it by myself and staying isolated, which was always my pattern previously, having gone, done a lot of healing work in my teens. I mean, I didn't do that alone. I did that with a lot of therapists and all of that. But in terms of the, the presence of a community, that was very limited. But this time I took and have taken and am taking a very different approach uh, in my life and in my work. And that feels... That feels really, really, really good. That feels like the, the right foundation for everything else. Back to fo focusing on and prioritizing, feeling good. Yeah, well, yeah, thanks of all. Um, first of all, thanks for sharing. And it's always, it is like, I, I can't even repeat the word you said. I mean, rape for me, yeah, it sounds so, so, um, so violent and, and it is. And for another time, like it would be really interesting to think about why, but you know, interestingly in, in Latin, it really, it literally means a taking. So taking without asking. Um, so um, uh, I really salute your, your bravery, just opening up about it, first of all. And the tangent that it kind of made me go on in my mind is that of how it turns out that a lot of people go on to make positive changes in their lives when they when they reach a low point you know because of and and something to the effect of what you said about not trusting intuition and and ending up in a really bad place is something that almost in this way came up in in my conversation with Brooke on this podcast and it's very interesting because then there's this question where it's like oh could you 
just be learning these things when you reach a low point. And I think, and then I think to myself, no, it's like, this is what happens if you are brought up with the wrong ideas, then the only thing that can get you out of it onto a better path is if it shatters and to shatter it, you need something really bad to happen. But this starts with the right education. If we would be getting that when we are young, we would just be growing naturally into having the right ideas about things, right? So to me, it immediately, like, as a father to, to a girl, mm-hmm. you know, and, and hearing that, like, once you become a parent, then you suddenly hear about stuff happening to other people, and you're mm-hmm. like, oh, my God, I'm immediately freaking out because this could be my girl growing up. So then it, it gives me the inspiration and the drive to really raise her and encourage her to have uh, good ideas about reality and about the world so that she wouldn't have to hit rock bottom. Mm. And Mm. I love the, also the idea that you didn't completely diminish your agency in Mm. going into a situation because I think too easy extreme to go to is, is one thing is to say, Oh, it's, it's all the men. And you know this is this is it's it's all on the man who's who's going in there it's all on the and it's true in a sense or there's victim blaming that's putting all the all the blame on you know that's kind of adjacent to what you were mentioning before but just mm-hmm. um why are you dressing up like that you know this mm-hmm. is goes back to like the the slut um bias there mm-hmm. um and and I just I just really appreciate the fact that you can separate uh, the other person's agency, which is obviously was they felt that they had this agency and they just ran with it, but also keep a place where you look at yourself and see, um, you know, what what did I do? In what ways did I not listen to myself? to um, to avoid this and i think that's super important and in the end that's what we want we want a world full of people who are feeling agency who are empowered to really follow their heart and and mind so that we don't all end up in these in these places and you know just just to finish this thought it's like i feel like it's almost taboo to represent um, the somebody perpetrating a crime as a tragedy in its own right. And I keep finding myself not wanting to say it, but the more I talk about, the more years I think about it, it, it is also a tragedy. So I don't know, it's just a thought I'm putting out there since we're about uh, breaking walls down. So much, so much to say. Thank you so much. What a beautiful, rich reflection. Uh, I don't want to say too much about what happened because I don't want to, I don't want that person's identity. But uh, interestingly, I spent a lot of time unpicking it in the months afterwards. And... I wrote about it. I can send you the article as well. Maybe we can include that as part of the podcast notes. Yeah. Um, it's on Medium. It's called The Things We Don't Talk About. 
opening Pandora's box, journaling in the aftermath of sexual assault. And I delve deep into a lot of these issues um, because sex in this kind of context is not really sex. It's about power. It's about an assertion of or a grabbing for power in my opinion. And why would people do that? Why would people feel the need to do that in such a brutal way, to take from others? Why would you, you, you only take when somebody wouldn't freely give or when you don't feel able to ask. Right. Because you're scared. Otherwise you receive. Otherwise yeah. you just receive. Otherwise, again, it's back to this women don't want to have sex. Actually, women do want to have sex. Women want to feel safe. You know, <laughs> that's not unreasonable. But women want to have sex just as much as men want to have sex. What happens when men don't want to have sex? That's another interesting question. But we can discuss that another time. Um, yeah, sorry. Where was I going with that? Yeah, um, power, people don't take, people don't feel the need to take if they, don't, if they actually feel powerful. And when I say actually feel powerful, I mean if they feel secure in themselves and in their quote unquote power. And the person who did that knew what he was doing. And I know for a fact, even from the conversations that we had over the course of that evening, that he was deeply insecure. And what I had to unpick in the aftermath and have unpicked and continue to in, you know, just in how I conduct myself in relationships is what drew me to somebody who was deeply insecure. Why, why was I attracted enough in whatever way to somebody like that, that I didn't voice my boundaries enough, leave, choose not to go on the date in the first place, choose, you know, just there are, there are myriad different things that I could have done at different points that I did not do for whatever reason. It's because I was insecure. I was insecure too. I was more insecure than I am now. And I was also less in touch with myself than I am now. So the number one thing that I would like to see cultivated in society and that I work to support people in and with is cultivating connection with themselves. Because I really do believe that we all have the quote unquote answers within us already. Sometimes we just need to learn how to access them. And having a guide and support along the way is super, super powerful, particularly if and when we've grown up in a world that teaches us subconsciously or otherwise <laughs> to reject, <laughs> deny, <laughs> suppress, and repress ourselves. Which takes yeah. me full circle to the original idea mm -hmm. is around stop making yourself wrong. 
and my big breakthrough in my own healing and awakening and reclamation has been learning how not to make myself wrong and viewing every experience that I've had, every experience that I continue to have, present tense in all ways as an initiation for me to get even better, to grow even more, to become even more of a person that I'm supposed to be. That's it. That's that's amazing. First of all, you're a natural podcast host, and I'm looking forward to, to learning <laughs> what it's going to be like, um, because bringing it back to the topic is usually my job, and you just did it. Um, and, you know, an idea, <laughs> yeah. and an idea that, that came to my mind is also well, to add to that list of things you shouldn't do to yourself is I think that it's so easy to adopt a script. So many of us adopt a script and it can be a religious script of how to live your life. It can be just the code of law. It can be just the cultural script of who you should be, what you should be doing and so on, things we discussed. And I think a, a lesson should be like, you know, all these tragedies, I think, eventually transpire when people continually override their own their own true self who's just you have this intuition about what is is right for you and i think that's true for um for victims i think that's true for perpetrators uh you know as long as they're not like true psychopaths who can't be empathic at all but a lot most people are not and they're still um committing injustices just because they want to stick to some script so bad that they're overriding their own instinct that tells them this is what I'm doing is wrong. So it's, it's I think, on both sides. And I think that is exactly the um, stop making yourself wrong. If you feel like there is effort that needs to be put in to persevere with something that did not originate with you, originated with society, with a parent, with a friend, with a just don't do that. It's okay, you can read those scripts, you can see, you can judge them for what they are. Don't force yourself to follow them, to become mm. a, a, a person that is not, uh, that did not originate with, your, with you as the moments are passing, right? In real time. Mm. Like, I'm just imagining that, and I don't want to hypothesize too much to like make, <laughs> make assumptions, but you know, let's leave your specific case alone. But a lot of cases are probably of people coming to a date, coming to a place and they're like, they already have a script in the end. Like I will kill myself if I don't get laid today. Like this is the perfect opportunity and stuff. And I think that at any point, if that is going off script, I think there could be an overriding that just kind of throws them off where it's like, okay, there's no, um, there's no consulting emotions or the other person and just like striving to fulfill that script. That's mm. probably a lot of what is happening in a lot of situations. Mm. I'm curious, where do you get that idea from? I just get it. I'm talking with you and I'm getting it. Um, it's related to my thoughts about justice, though. The no, I, I meant in relation to 
I should have been clearer. Um, I meant in relation mm. to this idea of people coming to dates with this sense of uh, I must get laid or I would kill myself. Where does that idea originate from? Oh, um, I think it's just kind of what fulfilling a script feels like, right? It can be in very different areas. Like I could say the same about people going to university, studying something which they don't want to study, but their parents are like, you better not go back home if you don't finish this degree, right? And then just going, so I just imagine, um, although it, yeah, so I just imagine like people really thinking their life is in danger if they don't get that thing. Like, how am I going to show my face if I'm not achieving this, right? And then this thought just making them go crazy and yeah. completely disconnect from themselves, other, and commit the injustice they are going to commit. And the injustices, in many cases, doesn't have a, a victim who's going to be traumatized. Very often, you know, the people who spend 10 years doing something they don't want they're committing an injustice unto themselves mm. is that your experience based on the conversations that you've had with other men about sex and their views of women no thankfully thankfully like i've always had strong uh i always cared a lot about doing the right thing in the end and not letting myself um act brutish um, so I was actually always quite vocal with even guy friends that if they're talking like that, they're saying like quite disgusting things to me. Um, no, but I think it's, it's just like the, the result of the one plus one of just adding things up and seeing what, mm. what the, um, mm. what the thought, the, what the thought process might be like mm. that drive people to override um, their own emotions, their own instincts, and that, mm -hmm. that is very likely to end in tragedy. Mm. So when, when I hear that, for me, it comes down to this overall disconnection, but a disconnection in relation to the fact that many people aren't taught how to have healthy relationships true with yeah. the opposite sex or just in general with anybody that they are <laughs> attracted to and even have healthy relationships full stop like what does that even mean and look like and if you don't see that modeled around you it can be really challenging to navigate and you'll naturally follow <laughs> the influences that you that you see whether that's the media you know, TV shows, YouTube, porn, etc. In the in the absence of other things, and that makes a lot of sense. I, I it's very very easy to point fingers and demonize and discredit. But I think what we really need to work on, and what's a lot more constructive, is replacing that yes. with something that's actually more more useful, um, and understanding the role and also the value that it has insofar as it's it has a place it informs many people's education in their lives it's pretty formative that's significant 
what education would and could be better. I'm I'm curious to hear from you about you know your what you'd like to teach your daughter, and yeah, I'll leave it there. What would you What would you like to teach your daughter about men? Yeah, first of all, a hundred percent agreement with you there. It's it's very easy to say what not, and I think uh, very uh, a good source on that is uh, Gavin De Baker who. Um, talks about violence and how to avoid violence. He's been on several podcasts and he's a fascinating, uh, fascinating professional. Um, yeah, but in terms of, of what to actually teach, yeah, that is the point. I think that is the good education that's going to help people avoid uh, these kind of challenges that, you know, if, if, if you're a person who's lucky like yourself like you're lucky in the sense that you got up you got you you got better you got um, wiser mm, some people are devastated to the point of no return you know mm. so we don't want to test people in that mm. way and what i said before is that yeah absolutely that that comes with uh, with correct education and I think, yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, first of all, I think that with my daughter, it's going to be really playing it by ear. I mean, that's how I do my life anyway, but coming up with strategies is, is nice, but then in real time, they're going to be the, the actual happenings, then the actual discussions that rise from things that happen in one's life. Mm. I don't think it's necessarily effective to start uh, bombarding people with all the facts about how life can be terrible right and prepare them for every terrible situation so rather we need to abstract something from all that and then talk about exactly the thing that you're talking about about how to how to actually have good discernment and good judgment in a moment without um, the list of things that we've already repeated several times overriding, forcing, uh, repressing, suppressing, and so on. Um, so I think it's going to be very gradual rather than a series of one hour lectures, right? And she's still small, but um, definitely not neglected to the point where just letting her see what comes from the outside world because we know what it is. I know what culture she's going to grow into. I know she's going to be offered to watch porn when she's like eight or something, you know? I, I know all that stuff. And this, you can't let yourself just be at peace with that. So you need to give some pushback, but also not so much that you're actually uh, making life seem uh, so threatening that they're not worth living right so that you should cocoon in your own house or something and that's a challenge but i'll only know what i'm going to do i think when the moment comes and um it's going to be unpleasant in the same way that it's unpleasant for me to relive situations in the same way that it's unpleasant for you but it's it's necessary right so mm. approaching things not just letting the um, the game unfold like based on how the dice are rolled and mm. and um, yeah in intervene in in the right measure which is hard <laughs> mm. yeah I hear you saluting you how did you learn 
how to communicate with women. I have three older sisters. That's <laughs> really good. I think I think that should be a law. Like once we can, uh, <laughs> once we can decide the the uh, the sex of a baby, every man should be born into a family with three older sisters. That's that's pretty good. Um, but um, I I still can't say that you know I have the lived experience of a woman. But at first and foremost, I I want to see I want to feel like we're not too different to communicate, right? Mm -hmm. So I will see you as a person first and foremost, mm. and then and then biological sex comes second. Um, yeah, so it it comes from I think values of of equality and and really sticking with it, not just saying it in words. I think it it stems from there, and then as time goes, I'm just trying to be more and more um, attentive and also be imaginative enough to put myself in the shoes of women as far as I as far as I can. You know, it's some things are very hard. Mm. Um, yeah, and it all I think starts with um, with a wish to be a, a beneficial person, a good friend, and mm. and so on. So, yeah. you know, a challenge for you has been to feel secure. It's been a challenge for me to to be inclusive and and make mm. others feel secure with me. It's mm. just something that's important for me. Mm. Um, it's actually not that nice to feel like you're threatening someone, right? So yeah. I don't want to be Great. in that position. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And I've had that before, and it's a terrible feeling. I've, mm. I've definitely been around women, gotten the vibe that they look at me like a potential threat or just, um, you know, a, a lot of times it would come across as like, I'm so not interested in you. I think that at this point I recognize that for some women, women it's like, okay, I'm going to feign this interest for the sake of just keeping away from you basically mm. and that's also a, a tragedy like for me that's a missed mm. connection right there um, mm. I yeah that. yeah I mean the things we do to survive are often not the things that we do to thrive <laughs> whoever we are <laughs> you, said very it. Terms. you said it um, yeah this is this this has been fascinating and I'm, I'm really grateful um, for you bringing this um, this little discussed topic and um, yeah and for sharing and for letting me share so this has definitely been healing and before we say goodbye I'd love to hear from you um, where people can find your thoughts your writings I will link to the article you mentioned um, but any other ways to to reach you that would be great and also what you do hello oh gosh hello again oh wow this has been such a joy thank you so much for inviting me on i mean i could talk about this stuff all day and talking about this stuff is literally my job which feels fitting because you know i i created a job that allows me to to do what <laughs> i love in service to myself and humanity i mean really what could be better and yeah that's exactly the attitude that that i take People can find me on Twitter uh, at, uh, at Rachel Cliff, um, on uh, LinkedIn. I'm pretty active there. 
um, Rachel Clifton. Um, and whew, what am I? Who? What do I do? I'm an executive coach by training. I'm a background in startups. And I'm also an embodiment teacher and relationship alchemist, which I'm so happy to have really got the opportunity to share a little bit with you today in relation to my own story and journey of experiential alchemy in my own right. Because, you know, when I say I live my work, that's not a marketing tagline. That's something I would do, will do, independent of anything else. It's it's what I love. It's what I know. And there's so much more here. Like, this is just kind of the tip of the iceberg in relation to what I have been through and worked through to have become and be becoming who and what I am. Um, so, you know, in, in brief, what I what I do is I help people to heal their attachment wounds and generational trauma so they can live deeply meaningful, satisfying, rewarding lives that they're in love with. You know, there's, I, I personally settle for nothing less. I feel that I am in love with life. I'm falling in love with life more and more and more. And the more that I lean into that, the more amazing things happen to support that. And that is the energy that I live with and lead with. And if you come into my orbit, you are almost guaranteed, touch wood, if you're open to it, to feel the same. That's it. <laughs> Amazing, Rachel. And you know, when I conceived of this podcast and created the format for it, now this is like the perfect embodiment of what I wanted to to achieve. And you know, first and foremost, make this uh, a space for me to to learn in and to heal in and to thrive in. And um, yeah, it's been just a, a wonderful conversation. So I'm looking forward to more. Yes, more. <laughs> yes, I'm super down. There's so much more to chat about, and it's been a real joy. Thank you so much. I All appreciate right, you. Next time. Next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>